Before we get started today, got to give a big shout out to Open Fortune, the people who made this possible. Open Fortune took the fortune cookie and flipped it on its head and made it the most creative ad platform out there. What they did, they took the fortune cookie and put ads on the back, reaching 99% of zip codes, 47,000 restaurants. And honestly, it's just, it's just fucking cool. And we can curse on the show because of the name and the title. So thanks, Open Fortune, for making this possible. Sweet. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to How the Fuck Did You Get That Job? Today, we have the multifaceted Erin Lovezo in the house. Kicking off her academic pursuits, Erin bagged a BA in theater from Illinois State University, then switched gears with a master's in strategy and branding from Cornell's Johnson Graduate School of Management. Erin dove into the professional world at Caesars Entertainment, focusing on internet marketing. She later climbed the ranks as CMO for Marcus Hotels and Resorts and shifted to Del Taco as the VP of Marketing Technology. Now she's making waves as the CMO of Museum of Ice Cream in Chicago. Outside of these roles, Erin heads up 414 Digital in Milwaukee and serves as an advisor for both the Internet Marketing Association and Built by Girls. So, Erin, how the fuck did you get that job? <laughs> well, the, uh, you did a really great job of explaining it. So where do you want me to start? I think starting off at like your college decision process, mm-hmm. it's a place I like to start with a lot of guests because it's one of those first you know, big decisions that you make uh, as adult or a blooming adult. So why Illinois State? Uh, well, so when you're what a junior, senior, and you travel to schools to like visit them, I in my head was like, I'm gonna be a famous actor. So let's go find like a private acting school, the best. Um, I looked at NYU. I looked everywhere, and then uh, my parents let me know that they'd support some of it, but definitely not private school support. And I realized, well, I'm gonna be a poor actor. I can't afford all these student loans. So we went to visit um, Millican and all these different schools that were great, and then went to Illinois State and walking around, you just felt comfortable. And I remember touring the school and someone goes, oh, you're gonna love it there. There's one type of tree from everywhere in Illinois. And I went, that's not gonna do it for me. So uh, as we're walking through though, I did feel comfortable. And growing up in a town of 2,000 people, going to a school with 20,000 students was a big difference. But it just was very welcoming and felt like somewhere I could grow and blossom. And the theater school was top notch. In fact, I recently went back and had lunch with Jane Lynch, who also graduated from there. And um, they just produced really incredible actors. And then, um, of course, I, I mean, we could pretend I'm still acting every day, but uh, here we are in marketing. There we go. And got to give a big shout out to Illinois State. Mm-hmm. Um, but. So bring me back also when you're younger, like who's the famous actor or actresses that you're basing your game off? Well, so I love a lot of different actresses, but in eighth grade I did, I auditioned for a community theater's production of Annie, and they said, you're too big to be a kid in the show, you need to be an adult. So they put me with the adult cast, and I was like, do you know what adults in theater do? they hang out and have fun and they just live life. And I was like, I love this. I want to be part of the adult group for the rest of my life. So that's the first time. And what age was that? Oh, eighth grade. So whatever that equals, 13 maybe, 14. And then my mom took me on a bus tour to Chicago to see two shows. We saw Cabaret with Alan Cummings. and Alan uh, Cummings is the best. Amazing. And if you the Kit Kat Club dancers and tor- um, 
the the woman who played Lois Lane and Superman was in it, and it was awesome. so good. And then she uh, and so I was like, I want to do that, right? And my mom goes, You want to perform on stage in your underwear? And I was like, No, I want to perform. And then she took me to see. Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which at first I thought was just a Bible story, and then I saw it, and I was like, oh, love it. So I get back, and it was with Donny Osmond, and I was like, I want to meet Don. I just want to meet Don, because I was so infatuated with how they got up there, and you were engrossed in it. And starting then, to this day, anytime there's a standing ovation, you'll find me in the back sobbing, because I just go. love it, and the energy that comes through live musical theater. Absolutely, it definitely is art, and so is marketing in its own way. Um, but growing up, right, a lot of kids, when they ask, what do you want to do? Like, actor is one of them, athletes. Not a mm -hmm. lot of people write marketer. Um, <laughs> yeah. But what was it the moment for you when you realized, like, I'm good at this, um, and I want to double down and really spend yep. my career in marketing? So after college, I worked at Olive Garden for, like, two months in order to save up like eight hundred dollars unlimited breadsticks yeah yeah, yeah and i was good. a i was a pitiful waitress so that's why i only had eight hundred dollars and i packed up my car and i thought i would go to la uh, and start a theater career there and i drove whatever fit in my tiny white toyota camry to Main character stuff yeah, yeah. to vegas yeah. and i got there and i realized i can't afford la but i could afford vegas because i could get a uh six hundred dollar apartment um for two months because they gave me an extra month free because mm -hmm. they had found a dead body in the room. And then I bought a $100 mattress off the back of some guy's truck, and I just figured Wait, it out. Wait, also, you can't just, like, skip over that. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I didn't have anything, right? It was just what was in my car. So, like, dead body, she's like, we'll give you an extra month for free. Great. Um, I didn't know anything. I'm in the worst part of Vegas. Again, naive, innocent. I don't know. But then uh, I went, I was like, where do people buy mattresses? And this guy was like, right here in my truck. And I was like... Okay. I didn't get box springs because I didn't know what those were. And then I ate Jack in the Box until I could find a job. Started in a psychologist's office until I could actually find a job in theater. Moved over to Bally's Paris Rio where I was a box office supervisor. The Richard Frankel production of Producers came. They said, we want someone to be our house manager who has a theater background. That was me. Yay. And what does the house manager do? They, um, they literally control the house. So every guest that comes in, they're in charge of all the guests that are seated in the theater. Got it. And so if something happens, if a guest comes out and they're offended by the show, I get to deal with all the customer service. Right. I oversaw 60 box office employees and ushers and union, non-union. And then um, I took a management course that Caesars put all managers, directors, vice presidents through. And they said, at the end of that, five-day intensive course they said you're a natural trainer we want you to join the training team and I was like oh I get to train people like that sounds great let's do that so I did that 2008 hits recession hits you don't need trainers if you're not hiring people so I lost my job um, no fault of my own but you still are unemployed and the recruiter at Caesar said what do you want to do um, we still are hiring some positions they're just very basic like needed positions I said I'll be a housekeeper. I'll clean rooms. Like, what, what do you got? She goes, what do you know about internet marketing? And I said, I have the Facebook. And so I started at the bottom. So the way I say is, like, if it was, like, whale, whale feces, me. Like, there's no one lower on the totem pole. Like, you need coffee? You need a PowerPoint clicker? What do you need? And what I figured out really quickly is when you're hourly, you take on everything. I have sure. nothing else to do. Give me all the jobs. I'll work through lunch. I don't care. It's overtime. And... As I was doing that, they would say, the, the CMO would go, I need someone to come in and click the PowerPoint. 
I'll do it. And people kept going, why are you volunteering? I was like, because I got to be in the room. I got to learn. I got to mm-hmm. absorb the knowledge. I got to take home the deck and be like, what is average Theo? How does this work? So everything, everything they threw at me, I took on. Then MGM Resorts calls, and they say, you want to come on this side of the road? And I'm like, no, I'm already doing all this. I handle all the accounts receivable and payables. Like, I love it. But they go, have you ever done your own tagging, ad buying, tracking? We're the internal agency for our properties. And I was like, no, but I feel like I should. So I did that. And did, at, did you know, sorry for interrupting, but did you know that at that point that like that was going to, because 2009, 2010 or whatever this year is, that like internet advertising was going to, um, and marketing was going to take off? Or were you just taking, no, a, taking a bet? It was um, definitely a bet and it was definitely like the redheaded stepchild, right? We were never as cool right then as traditional advertising. They'd be like, this is the traditional creative group. What are you guys doing over there? Because um, it wasn't really respected yet. Correct. Yeah. And we de- we still called it internet. It wasn't digital. It wasn't interactive. It hadn't gone anywhere. Sure. Um, so I joined MGM, and at that time, someone did offer me an opportunity to go back into training, and I realized I was building a skill. And what's interesting is with acting or training, everybody thinks they can do that, right? Everybody's like, oh, I've always wanted to be an actor. I think I'm really good at it. And you're like, hmm, I studied it. Like, okay. Uh, second to that is marketing. Everybody thinks they're a marketer. So people, I've had lawyers tell me, oh, well, if I didn't go to law school, I was going to be a marketer because I've always had a knack for that. What do you that. say to like, those people? I'm always like, oh, cool, because it's not a skill. Like, yeah. I don't know. I didn't study this or anything. Like, well, so that's so great. I, I often think about it, too, as a marketer, too, with, like, the. it's because the bar to entry is low, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can run a Facebook ad by clicking it, Correct. right? Or you can post on social just by clicking. So it doesn't yeah. really get the whole versus coding and all well, that. They don't or give or it also any like work. accounting, right? Like it's like you can't just show up and yeah. be an accountant one day, right? But and you can click on social. You can't really show up and be a marketer because that's how so many businesses that don't invest in marketing then go, well, I don't know what we're doing wrong. I don't know what sell. I, I hired this 17-year-old to run everything, and I don't know why it's not working. And I was like, well, I'm sure we could have a conversation about that, right? right? But they really struggle with why they have to invest because, to your point, you can click and make the ad. Do you think that's the reason, or do you think there's also some other reasons why brands may think that? Um, I think that's a lot of the reasons. Until they see the success from it. Sure. They don't understand why they're investing, and they don't understand why it's important, or no one's been able to communicate to them why it's important. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, at MGM, I learned a lot. I took on five other properties, and it was about here. You give me this budget, I'm going to show you what it returns. And it was hotels, it was entertainment, it was restaurants, it was everything inside of those properties in Vegas and outside of Vegas. And then um, the Palms called. And at the time, I had taken over. Or all these, when you say called, right, is it them actually calling you? Or, like, how are these jobs coming in? So um, the Palms, someone who had worked, Monte Carlo was uh, MGM property. She had gone to the Palms. She had called me to say she was leaving, and they were interested in me. At the time, I was the president of the Las Vegas Interactive Marketing Association. So I went over there to talk to them, not wanting to take the position necessarily, but what I wanted to do was get them to pay the Las Vegas Interactive Marketing Association to promote the position into the market. And 
um, and network. And so I went over there. I talked to them. They said they were hiring, uh, I don't know, it was a director or whatever the title was. And I said, no. Uh, I said, I'm happy to post it on LaVima and see and refer people. And they said, well, what would you need to take the job? I said, I need a couple things. I need a different title. And then I laid out what I would need. And they said they couldn't do it. And I said, I understood. I can't wait to stay in contact so I can help you sure. fill this role. Three weeks later, I got a call, and they said, we can do it. And I said, all right, touche, let's do it. So I uh, joined the team and led marketing and, and digital and interactive there, built an internal agency. In fact, the Palms was the old Playboy Club, right? So because we built the team so big, they had to carve a hole in my office to open into the back of Rain Nightclub, which had all Playboy carpeting. So for the longest time, my, my whole carpet in my office was Playboy. Here you go. And, uh, it, very, That's a how the fuck did you get there moment. Yeah, it was a very interesting lifestyle living in Vegas. Sure. Um, and then I had had two children at that point, and I realized I there's nothing wrong with raising your kids in Vegas. However, the first time my daughter said, like, Mom, what's 6969 babes direct to you? I was like, I think we're moving. I think uh, that we have to move. That, that I, I fully understand that because I remember going to Vegas for the first time it was like March Madness 2020 or something like, or like right before the pandemic. And I saw so many like families bring their like less than five-year-olds mm -hmm. like in strollers and they're like, oh, look, there's the fake Statue of Liberty or like stuff like that. And like, I understand Vegas has its appeal, mm -hmm. right? But then you see all the I mean, they're babe, driving six, down nine, the street. whatever, yeah. like everything. And it's like, this is like, there, there were so many babies there and I was just so mm -hmm. confused why you would like, it's so interesting. Go, it, it is interesting. Uh, um, so, and again, there's nothing wrong with it. Sure. Uh, but so that was the moment where you said you're moving in. I think we have to move. Yeah. And so did you start looking for a job then? I started putting some feelers out. I thought maybe Midwest. And a recruiter called and asked me what I knew about Wingstop. And I said, I don't eat wings. And they said, I said, is it like pizza? Is that exactly what you said on the I bed? did. 100%. <laughs> I'm shockingly direct. And um, sometimes it allows me to put my foot in my mouth. Uh, and sometimes it goes really well. Right. Um, so the recruiter and I talked for a while, and it sounded really interesting. They needed someone to come in and can, they had online ordering, but it turns out wings are really hard to order, right? Because you have multiple variations. You might like bone in, boneless, tons of different sauces. You might want four of one, three of another. Anyway, um, we started talking. They say it's in Dallas. I was like, I've never been to Texas. Uh, and they go, I think you'll like it. Why? Uh, so we took a trip. They sent my husband and I down there to meet the team. And when I got off the plane, the lady looks at me and she goes, how are you? And I said, I'm fine. And she goes, no, how are you? And I was like, uh, do you want something from me? And she goes, I just want to know how you are. And I realized Vegas had jaded me a little. Like I just assumed that everybody approached me needed or wanted something from me. And I went, oh, we do need to get somewhere where like, People can just be nice to people, right? People can just be good people. And I met the team. It was wonderful. Joined Wingstop, led their digital initiatives, built out the team. We rebranded. Um, we changed our uh, spokesperson. We did all of that. It was wonderful. Uh, and then got a call. What are you most proud of with Wingstop? We had a campaign called Viva El Manganero, uh, and it was so... It is normal in the restaurant industry to have a limited time option. You bring something, you take it away. I don't necessarily understand it other than like the Shamrock Shake does really well. But 
we would bring limited sauces. They'd mix at a certain percentage, and then we'd take them away. And it was about the promo and the burst. Well, when we brought mango habanero, um, people liked it. It mixed at the normal amount. And then we took it away, and people lost their minds. People were like, I can't believe you did. Why would you do that? And it was this younger demographic who didn't understand why we would give them something and then take it away. Sure. And it was very fascinating to me. Uh, and we couldn't figure out, and they were like, we'll just bring it back. We'll just bring it back. And our franchisees were like, people keep asking for it. So we went and um, started kind of a grassroots campaign. And at first, your traditional restaurant concept would say, we'll just announce that it's coming back. Well, that's no fun. So we created this campaign because it was the people speaking, right? The guests speaking, sure. the customers speaking. So we sent out surveys, and we said, do you want Mango Habanero to come back? And if they marked yes, we said, give us your address. We got about 118 of them, 120 of them. And they gave us their address, and we said, oh, we just need to check for validity or whatever. So then we took that, and we created, uh, again, Mango Habanero sauce. We created this underground uh, uprising of Viva El Manganero. And there was like a mascot, and like it had okay. nothing to do with corporate. And we had Viva El Manganero shirts, and there were bandanas, and there were stickers, and it just felt, and we put them in nondescript uh, cream envelopes with stamps on them. Nothing that said Wingstop, nothing that said corporate. And we mailed them to these people. And people lost their minds. And they social posted about it everywhere. And they were like, oh my God, look what I got in the mail. Like, I think it's coming back, you guys. And they would tag us. And our share of voice went up through the roof over a thousand percent overnight from sending out like 118 of these things. And not one thing had our branding on it. And that was exciting. Mm -hmm. And when we knew it was working, because people were losing their mind and resharing it and resharing it and resharing it. And so then we put out a video that had like a scrambling, like, um, I don't want to compare it to ISIS video, but like, you know, like, uh, like someone's taking you for ransom, right? Sure. And they're like masked voice and saying that it's coming back, right? They've taken over the airwaves. It was just fun and it was silly. And people went berserk because they expected the older CEO to come out and just say that. But we didn't want it to be yeah. about that. We didn't want it to be about the man just told us what to do. We wanted it to be about the people spoke That's and it. we listened. And then we brought it back and it sold even better. Yeah. And it's still on the menu to this day. We won Shorty Awards with it. It was a wonderful campaign. Um, but the budget for what we did was minuscule compared to what it produced. And that was something I was incredibly proud of the team working on. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. That's just such a great story where, and it's cool that you got that buy-in from the CEO and, and everyone because when you go in as a marketer, there everybody's already kind of like obscure, like, oh, what's this person going to say? And on mm -hmm. top of that, to like not have it directly tied to the brand because some people are like, oh, if there's no brand on it, it's not in your face, they're not going to do anything. But what you did is tell a story yeah. um, and you got brand loyalty behind it. So that I, I commend you for it. It was super, super cool. Super, super cool. So talk to, talk to us about ice cream. Okay. Right. All right. So I went Freebirds, Bounteous, Marcus Hotels, uh, Jack in the Box Del Taco, and now I'm at Museum of Ice Cream. And um, it's amazing. So we exist to unite and inspire through imagination and um, c connection. And so everything we do is about human connection. Did you ever think you'd be in the ice cream business? No. Yeah. I didn't think I'd be in the wings what, business. What was your, uh, you know, husband's reaction to, like, you working at, like, wings companies, but also especially, like, hey, babe, I got this ice cream deal? Um, so 
Last year, when they approached me, I was really interested in it, and we talked a lot about it. And he was—he always says, like, I'll support you in whatever you do. Okay, that helps me make any decisions. Um, but he, he's always been incredibly supportive of it. And in this case, uh, we had a very traumatic accident happen in our lives last about a year ago where he fell and he coded four times and was in a paralyzed coma and had brain surgery and had a ton of other things happen and the doctors kept telling me he would die. And so we lived through that for three months and, well, he didn't, he was sleeping, but I lived through it for three months and our family. And as we came out of that, as we emerged from this trauma, which he is doing great right now. He's unbelievable. He's a less than one percenter. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. Um, I realized that I wanted to do something that brought joy to people and it made it a no-brainer to join Museum of Ice Cream and Figure Eight Brands. And like I said, it was all about connection. And when kids meet other kids, they walk up to him on the playground. My son walks up to a kid and he's like, you want to swing? And he's like, yeah, I want to swing. He's like, you want to be best friends? He's like, yep. And I always think of the stepbrothers thing when he's like, you want to be best friends? And it's so simple. Yeah. It's so easy. Adults don't do that. We've become jaded by the world. We've become jaded by the people that want stuff from us. And we can't just play together. Mm-hmm. And what if we could? It just happens to be that the channel that brings us together is being able, is ice cream and having childlike play. And so that's what we want adults to do. We want them to come and play like kids again. Um, kids already know how to play like kids, but adults can play like kids. They can jump in sprinkles. They can play games. And then, of course, you get to eat unlimited ice cream and learn a little bit that's about ice cream. So uh, it truly is. When I talk to people, they go, you sell ice cream. I was like, no, I don't. And they're like, you don't sell ice cream? I was like, I don't even make ice cream. We buy ice cream from sure. lots of different companies and serve different types of ice cream. And they're like, well, what do you sell? And I'm like, joy. Yeah, I, I mean, sell joy. It's true. And I'm so happy that your husband's okay you. and you guys are doing great right now. I, I with ice cream, and there is that quote, right? We just unlearn things as we grow up, right? Mm-hmm. And we can learn a lot of things from kids. What uh, what was your like ice cream? What's your ice cream moment, right? That brings you back. Uh, as a kid? Yeah. Oh, man. So when I was real young and I would stay at my Aunt Sherry's house um, and my Aunt Alicia was always there as well, we would, she was the first one to let me watch Dirty Dancing, um, which I felt was like really risque. So like that was a moment in itself. And so when we'd watch it, because my parents weren't going to let me watch it or I didn't think they would, we'd watch it at her house. And I mean, we all love Patrick Swayze moment. And my Aunt Alicia would bring in like Dairy Queen blizzards. And so we'd sit there with the blizzards and we'd watch Dirty Dancing. And then I got to step up to Pretty Woman, which was really exciting too. So we'd alternate between Pretty Woman and Dirty Dancing. And when we'd do that and have sleepovers, I'd get my Oreo Blizzard. And like to me, that was like... So much dopamine, just Patrick oh, Swayze, man. ice cream. Yes, Richard D- Julie Gere. Ro- Julie Roberts. All these older, yeah. attractive men. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. So, um, and I was so young, but it was always a moment that I remembered to the point that... I don't know it was as impactful to my Aunt Sherry and my Aunt Alicia as it was to me, but I remember every, and like if I say like, oh, I remember sitting here, they'll be like, what? I'm like, yeah, that's how impactful it was to me. So when Museum of Ice Cream calls, right, what are they looking for you to accomplish, right? What what is success um, for you? Uh, It's bringing that joy to people. And so I always say that people either know the museum 
and they love it or they have never heard of it. And so our big opportunity is to make sure people know where we are. And we have four permanent locations. We have Miami coming next year. We have more being announced. And what we know is that people keep coming and they keep having fun. And when they're there, it resonates because that's why we have people coming back and going, hey, we want to host our holiday parties. We want to host our family gatherings. We want to host our weddings in Museum of Ice Cream. And to me, the first time I saw pictures of the wedding at Museum of Ice Cream, I went, that's when we know we're doing a good job. So what do they want me to do? They want to make sure that the world knows that we exist and that, that we're open and we want them to come play with us. That's amazing. And what? talk to me a little bit about like your screen names or how you guys go by at the company, because I think it's hilarious. So when I was hired, they said, oh, you need an ice cream name. And I was like, OK. Not thinking like, like that's just for fun, right? Like we like put that on a plaque outside of our office or something. And they go, what do you want yours to be? And so mine is swirls. And it's because I dance competitively and I, twirls, swirls. What kind of dance? Uh, ballroom dance, so competitive Amazing. ballroom dance, which is a lot of fun. Our whole family actually competitively ballroom dances cool. um, with Fred Astaire, and we love it uh, and travel around the country. Um, but swirls like twirls. And then I have on my team, we have Ray Dips, we have Marshmallow, we have Peppermint, we have Sprinkles and Sunday, which helps because our entire design team is Lily, Lily, and Lily. So ice cream names really help. Mm-hmm. And you'd be surprised if you... If someone doesn't know we have ice cream names and you're sitting on a meeting with like a new partner or someone who like a beginning meeting and you're like, hey, Sprinkles, can we do this? And they're like, what'd you call us? I'm like, oh, we have ice cream names. It kind of sounds like a cat call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I actually text uh, the other day and I realized I was like, hi, it's Swirls. And I was like, I understand that I just sounded like a stripper. Um, <laughs> but no, that's that's uh, that's my ice cream name. And sorry about that. No, so that, that's that's super on brand and super cool that like <laughs> you guys do that. Um, what are you most proud of that like you've worked on at Museum of Ice Cream today? Our National Ice Cream Day. Uh, incredibly proud of our teams that all came together. So National Ice Cream Day, we decided to, well, go big or go home. And uh, we have locations in New York, Chicago, Austin, and Singapore. And so we thought, let's build 60-foot sprinkle pools in the middle of these cities and provide free playtime and free ice cream to people. And so over National Ice Cream Day, July 15th and 16th this year, we did just that. We built a pool in Singapore Plaza. We built a pool in Hudson Yards next to the vessel. We built a pool in Pioneer Court on the Mag Mile in Chicago. And we had a big ice cream truck on South Congress in Austin. And we served free ice cream. And we marketed it. We said we wanted people to come out. And it was their opportunity to experience just a blip of what they would experience in our museums. And I will tell you that I was completely shocked when at Hudson Yards, there was a line that people waited in for three plus hours to play in a sprinkle pool for a few minutes and get ice cream provided by Friendlies. And to me, that's when you know you have a moment. You've made a movement. And we served over hundreds of thousands of guests joy and play and ice cream over that weekend. We made pivotal moments and we saw over a billion media impressions come from this, as well as influencer impressions. And this, it created stories worth telling. And you know mm-hmm. those families went home, and they were just full of joy, and they got to do something different. 
right? They get to really play together. And when people play together, they want to memorialize that. And so that's where pictures come from and hashtags come from because people, when they have a moment, that's when you see someone break out their phone and they're like, let's take a picture together. And that's to me why people take pictures when they go to our museums isn't because it's a picture moment, it's because they've memorialized a memory. Yeah, that, I mean, that exactly what you just said is super special. Um, we spoke, you know, as we wrap up here, we spoke a, a lot about your career, like what is, what is something that you're proud of just in your personal life? Like you said, dancing. Um. Um, yeah, dancing is something I'm incredibly uh, proud of and being a mom. And so being able to see my kids dance and be able to show them how much fun I have. And I got into dance by happenstance, but what it allows is for your brain to disconnect and for you to focus on lots of different things. Because if I'm trying to think about my shoulders being down, my head being up, my leg doing this, mm -hmm. at the same time as smiling, like you can't think about anything else. And so I am proud of where I've come from. It's almost like a flow state. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it breaks down even more vulnerable than walking on stage and talking to a group of people. Because when you're dancing, everything's being watched, mm -hmm. everything. And there's something incredibly vulnerable about trusting. I actually wrote an article about the parallels of ballroom dance to leadership and how you, to be the best leader you can be, you have to be vulnerable, right? And you have to be also strong and you have to have stamina and all these different elements that you get out of dancing. And being able to trust, I'm not a good follower. I am actually a horrible follower. My dance teacher constantly stops and he goes, you want to you wanna follow? And I'm like, sorry, like, because I keep trying to do lead. Do you dance as a lead or do you dance as a follower? Oh, I'm a follower. Yeah. Um, I'm just a really bad one. And he will do things. And it also brings out the pure childlike joy in me. Totally. And that's what therapy also teaches me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think everybody should have a therapist. Retweet. But <laughs> I think that like when I get dipped to the ground or when I do a death drop and like I'm just giggling as if I'm a little kid, that to me is the same moments that you have at the museum is the same moments I get to experience in dance. So I am proud of that journey. Um, it's not easy. There are many tears along the way because you're like, you want to be good. And it's like, it, like you said, you run marathons, right? Yeah. It's, ve it's very challenging. And then I'm also proud of being a mom and watching my kids grow up. And mom guilt is real. And I will tell you, I have mom guilt all the time. But I'll tell you that my kids look to me, and I'm putting the best foot forward I can for them. And I know that they will be stronger and more efficient adults and happier adults mm -hmm. because of what I'm teaching them now and what they're seeing me do. Absolutely. And keep teaching them those values. And I will say when they tell their kids at, or not tell their fellow friends at school what their mom does, I'm sure they, it's, it's, their it's, friends it's, do it's love hit. it. My yeah. kids, when they were real little, um, my daughter went to school and the teacher called and she said, what, your daughter came to school and we were having pretend time. Right. And she goes, sure. she was adamant that all moms make the money and all dads stay at home. And in Texas, that was jarring apparently um and i said oh i do that and my husband is a stay-at-home dad and it was shocking for a lot of people absolutely and uh they are they're seeing a very different world than what a lot of kids are growing up in yeah and they gotta watch barbie yes so, exactly so 
But before we start the quick question round, we got to give a big shout out to Open Fortune. Open Fortune is the company that came up with putting ads in fortune cookies with the average human seeing anywhere from like 4,000 to 8,000 ads a day. These are ads that are actually memorable, fun. We can write the creatives. And uh, never thought fortune cookie writer would be in my job title. But thanks, Open Fortune, for uh, making this happen. So before we get started, let's crack open one of these okay. and uh, see if our fortunes align with what we spoke about on the pod. Do you want to go first? Sure. I'm struggling to get mine out. Some people have to eat it before they... Uh, There's a lot. I'm not going to do that, though. <laughs> what do you got? Uh, your generosity will ripple out in ways you can't imagine. Here we go. In bed. In bed. Um, you, well, because you have to add that, Yeah, you right? do have to like, add in bed. I mean, that seems right. Uh, you'll be surprised by the happiness uh, your small act of giving will bring. There In bed. In airy. Very nice. Do you have Do you have a fortune cookie moment? Do you like fortune cookies? I love fortune cookies. What What's one moment that sticks out to you? Um, <laughs> it's a horribly embarrassing story because when I was like in high school, everybody knows the adding in bed to it, right? And we're sitting in a Chinese restaurant in small town where like everybody knows everyone. And I read my fortune and my dad goes, in bed. And I went, no, you don't get to say that to like, but it was hysterical because like he was just like adding to it too. And I was like, no, I think this is where we draw the line. Yeah, so. 100%. That is a dad joke though. <laughs> yes. Uh, sweet. I got some rapid fires. First thing that comes to mind. Uh, we'll hit it. Person you'd most want to sit down to dinner with that are alive. Uh, probably Robert Downey Jr. Favorite city in the world? New York. Is it okay to sleep with socks on? No. Wrong, but okay. <laughs> uh, favorite romantic comedy? Um, Dirty Dancing. Favorite spot to eat in New York City? Um, I, oh gosh. I don't know. The, I, the there's this Russian restaurant we just went to, and I can't remember you the name do, of it. You could do so Milwaukee good. if you want. Okay, Milwaukee. Um, I love uh, at St. Kate, the Arts Hotel, there's a restaurant behind a bookshelf called The Dark Room. Very cool. Uh, favorite Illinois State grad? Um, Gary Cole, uh, Sean Patrick Hayes, or Jane Lynch. In 40 years, what will people be nostalgic for? In 40 years. That seems so far away. Uh, probably, probably the Barbie movie. Yeah. One thing people don't understand about working in the ice cream business is? Uh, how much work it takes to really, truly build an experience that's focused on human connection. What? That's bars. Uh, what's the worst advice you've ever been given? Uh, to wait my turn and to uh, wait until they call my name. In one sentence, how do you sum up the internet? <laughs> uh, it is a dichotomy of good, bad, and ugly, and the goal is to use it for good. I love that one. Uh, who's somebody you think should hop on this podcast? Oh, man. Um, I would say 
I was just talking to her, Katie, the owner of Tap On at the SMS company. She is incredibly uh, impressive to talk to. Very good. Would love to have her on. Um, favorite ice cream flavor? Cookie dough, but only because I like to eat the giant cookie dough bites out of it. So if it's like small cookie dough bites, then I skip to like a mint chocolate chip. There you go. And in 10 years, where can we catch you? God, I don't know where I was last year. Um, 10 years from now, hopefully I'm retired, uh, even though I'm not that old, uh, or running a company or living on a yacht or an island. I don't, there's lots of places. We'll see. One of the following. Yeah. There we go. Well, I hope to see you in one of those in 10 years. Awesome. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you.